With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome in to the New Orleans Pelicans podcast, the official podcast of your New Orleans Pelicans. A podcast dedicated to everything you need to know about the squad. Hear from players, coaches, broadcasters, and those who cover the NBA on a daily basis. It's time to flock up. The New Orleans Pelicans podcast starts right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another edition of the New Orleans Pelicans podcast, the official podcast of your New Orleans Pelicans. What a win, a needed win, especially if you ask Ty Graffinini, voice of the Pels in Houston just a couple days ago. And down it to Jonas, short corner left, got to go with three, with two, got to go, get it to Jose, buzzer beating Oh, goodness, three. oh, goodness, left. Wing. I mean, there was two-tenths of a second on the shot clock when he let it go. Jose, 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 Jose. Oh, this is how head coach Willie Green sounded afterwards. You know, it, it was similar in the fact that they, they're a tough team and they play tough and they're scrappy. They force us to have 17 turnovers. I thought we just continued offensively with our force and our pace, got down the floor quickly, made quick decisions, didn't allow their physicality to disrupt us offensively and, and then defensively. In, incredible job uh, by all of our guys holding them to 40% from the field and um, 29 from three. So, you know, solid effort on both ends of the floor. If you watched it, if you listened to it, obviously Jonas Valanciunas, a massive night on that night. Here's Jonas. We all got to do our jobs. You know, it's not, you know, it's not – in the individual sport it's a team sport so we all got to know our spots our our job to do and 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 we got to do it no matter who's playing you know who's not and it's always good jim eikenhoff for new orleans pelicans.com when you hear the phrase dagger from todd graffinini and it's actually a positive reference to something the pelicans did yes definitely better in that uh instance instead of him threatening to use a dagger on himself. Yes. So very good to hear him voice that word and at the end of a win against yeah, the Rockets. In case you missed it, shame on you. But if you didn't, here it is. One minute to go. He just hold it. They're going to run in double team. Najee going to the rack. Leave it for Jonas. Two-hand dunk and one dagger time. All right, so there you go. Look, there's Todd making the call there. You got to hear it. Dagger, there's the dunk. You, you love all that. How big was that win? Yeah, I think to me it kind of restored order in terms of the direction that the team was heading. I mean, they were on a three-game losing streak. You can kind of couch that a little bit by saying, yeah, that they did lose to three of the best teams in the league. I don't think necessarily it was just that they lost. It was the fact that they had you know, two 24-point losses on the weekend, and then they had the game against Boston that they had a lead and weren't able to finish that game. So to be able to come back and, and get a win – um, you know, lower tier teams, Houston's not a lower tier team. They're kind of in the middle, but 
Those yeah. are the kind of opponents, I think, over the rest of the season that they need to consistently beat teams and, like that. And I get it. It wasn't pretty towards the end. And once again, it was one of those things where you had to find a way to close things out. And again, it's it's a learning process with this team. But the fact that you did, it, you did. And you wound up the month of January 8 and 7. And that is something that we've talked about. I brought it up at the beginning of the mm-hmm. month. I love the fact that even Coach talked about it. This is what he had to say on finishing 8 and 7. We, we knew we had a tough month ahead of us. Uh, we still got a few tough games coming up, but it's really a credit to our staff and our players um, for continuing to just stick with it and continuing to put in the extra work um, when no one's looking. And, you know, we'll take it. With all the tough teams that we had, you know, we'll take eight, eight and seven. Now, we, we know we could have been better, um, and we'll try to continue to improve, but, you know, like you said, it, it's good to come out of this month uh, with, a, with a winning record. All right, so Jim, there it is, your crystal ball, a.k.a. the Magic 8 ball that we bought at the store down the street. Um, rub it, give it a good uh, twisty turn, up and down, shake it left to right. 12 games in the month of February, as we're now on February 2nd. How many games do the Pels need to win to make you comfortable? I think I'm going to go with eight and four. I think seven and five probably is all right. Um, as long as they can keep adding to the distance between 500 and themselves right now, I think that would be helpful. But given the slate of opponents that they have, I think you're looking at a month where you don't want to go six and six or five and seven or like that. If if you if they do that, I think we'll definitely look back at February as disappointing and they probably they're in seventh place right now. They'll probably drop a spot or two if they don't at least go a little bit over five hundred in this month. That's the thing that's crazy about it, right? So you get closer to the All Star break here. Would you say thirty some odd games left? Thirty four. Thirty four games left. That's yep. crazy. It feels like you need some. Doesn't feel like that many in terms of what I mean by that is you say that, but everyone means so much, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And by the time we get to the All Star break, and there's seven games between now and then, so. Some quick math, that means there's only 27 games left at the All-Star break. People always think of the All-Star break as the halfway point, but it's really the two-thirds point. And, I mean, literally for the Pelicans, they will have played 55 with 27 left. So, yeah, it's it's deep into the season by that point. What do you make of the separation, Jim, of one through four to where now it really sort of looks like those four teams, Minnesota, OKC one game back, Clippers two games back, Denver a game and a half back in fourth. I know that doesn't make sense, but that's how it is with a tiebreaker mm-hmm. and all that. Sure. And then the next closest team is Sacramento six back. There, there, There's a separation there, right, between really those is. first four. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, things can change. You don't know what happens. Health will be a big thing for those teams. But it sure seems like right now I could probably say, hey, that series that you swept from Sacramento, how big does that look now, right? Because they're just a game above you if you're the Pels. Phoenix, mm-hmm. one game above you in six, and you got Dallas below you. How big is that, getting that win that you can get back and forth in that series going, right? Mm-hmm. So it looks like to me, and there's the dreaded Lakers, but it's Sacramento, Phoenix, New Orleans, Dallas, in my mind, that will be battling for five, six, seven, and eight. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you ask about how do I view the the tiers of the standings, I I agree. I mean, I think it's, I mean, things can change, and yeah, especially over a month the or two, can't get the fourth. Right. But that's a lot of right games now, to make up. Right from a short term standpoint, it's not realistic to think that the goal should be to move all the way up to four. Um, like you said, I think Dallas, Phoenix, and Sacramento; those are the three teams that Pelicans fans should be paying the closest attention to right now. And I think February 
is a possible there is a possibility that yeah yeah we're not I'm not targeting the fourth spot but can they move up to fifth or sixth in That's what February I mean. by yeah. the end of this month can we say you know not only are they in the top six but they're in good position in terms of where they are compared to Dallas unfortunately I don't think most likely they're not going to have the tiebreaker on Dallas so they're going to need to win more games than the Mavericks. Um, the Kings, they just need to have the same record as them because obviously they already have the tiebreaker wrapped up with them and they still have one more game against Sacramento in April. So um, next that, week, the, that game at the Clippers, how big is that? Yeah, I mean, that you know, that's the one that's the one, only opponent. I mean, there's a couple the Lakers are 500, but really the the stretch of games that they have coming up, that that Clipper game is really the only one against a team that's over 500 and well yeah. over 500. Right, but so. that's the one I'm circling. I'm like, of the trip, of, you know, whatever. I, I need that one. That would be great. That would be great. <laughs> that won't be the game, though, that I think fans are going to go into saying, like, that's the game well, that that's, we're going to win. That's well, the one that would be, uh, I think people will look at that, you know, maybe as almost like a bonus. Like, if you get this win, you really got a chance to have a great road trip. Well, I tell you what, look. And here's the thing. That team looks really good right now. Yeah, Defensively, sure. offensively. Mm-hmm. And, Jim, I think they're going to be contending for the top spot. I'm just mm-hmm. – and it's not it's not a bad thing. Hear me out. If the season ends and you're five, you play the third seed. Right now it's the Clippers. I don't want to play the Clippers in that first round. Do you? Mm-hmm. I don't. No, not the way they're playing. So I mean, I'd like them to get to two or one. The Clippers, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I can completely see that happening. Mm-hmm. If I'm five – I'm playing four. Right. That's Denver. Denver I understand right that they're defending mm-hmm. champs. I understand they got Jamal Murray and Jokic. I understand the last time they played. The NBA is about matchups. The Pels can match up against them. In other words, on the court, they have a chance to win. Would you agree with mm-hmm. me on that? You know what's interesting, though, is I OKC, think— OKC, Minnesota, I feel like that as well. I think a lot of teams in the West, and I don't—this is no disrespect to Minnesota and OKC. It's really more the fact that neither of those teams has— been deep in the playoffs and doesn't have guys that have, have a about. lot of experience. Right. So, I mean, if it's the thing is, is the top four is so close to that. It's hard to really project right. like Denver could end up being number one by the end of the season or by the end of this month, they could be number one. So it's going to change a lot. But I, I think a lot of teams in the West, I'm guessing are saying that they wouldn't, if you have your pick, you don't want to play the defending NBA champs and you don't want to play a Clippers team that has, you know, granted the Clippers have had a bunch of struggles in the postseason, but they have various guys that have done a ton in their career. Yeah. And like you said, the way they're playing right now, right. they're dangerous. And I was very skeptical of them when they first made the Harden trade, and there was plenty of reason to be because they lost the first five games. But it took me a while. But, I mean, that's all gone. I, I definitely feel like they're a team that you're not going to want to play. If if they continue to do what they've been doing lately, they're going to be maybe the number one team. It's I think it's probably going to be between them and Denver that people are going to say, Let's try to avoid them in the first round of the playoffs. It'll be real interesting when we sit here at the end of this month and see where things are. Super excited for you on Friday. Jim wanted to have a little bit more fun, so we decided to do a radio roundtable every two weeks. And today, it's the color analyst, John DeShazer, along with Aaron Summers, who's the Saints and Pelicans team reporter, but also on game days. She's the sideline reporter as well. So let's all have a chat, shall we? This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. 
Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Tom, now to welcome in John DeShazer, Aaron Summers, Jim offer. It's our radio roundtable. Second time we're going to be doing this, and it'd be kind of fun, especially since we want to focus on the future. We're not talking about like the year 3000. Is Jim, you're going to be using hoverboards, things like that, right? Are you cloned? How many clones would you have of yourself? Uh, I think one is probably plenty for That's people scary to enough, with. to be honest yeah. with you. It's yeah. real, real scary, to be honest with you. What's going on, guys? How y'all doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah. JD, how are you doing? All good. All good on the road. Ready to come back home, no doubt, I'm sure, for that. Uh, look, one of the things and one of the reasons so many fans are excited about this team is how young they are and how, I guess, we have yet to remotely see the potential of this team, right? And it's kind of what the, the theme of today's roundtable is going to be. Right. The fact that, you know, obviously they're trying to achieve as much as they possibly can this year, make the playoffs, go as deep as they can. But we also know that, you know, the championship window for contention probably isn't immediately right this second. We know that you know, down the road, however they do this year, it's probably more, you know, two years from now, three years from now. So that was kind of the theme to that we wanted to talk about during this radio roundtable. And I guess should preface before we get into some of the specific stuff that I kind of limited everybody to it's players 25 and under on the team. So whatever answers you hear from people today, if you say, well, how come they didn't mention CJ McCollum? How come they didn't mention, you know, Cody Zeller, uh, it's really six guys that are 25 and under on the team right now. Jose Alvarado's 25. Herb Jones is 25. Trey Murphy and Zion are both 23. Jordan Hawkins is 21. And Dyson Daniels is 20. Najee Marshall, actually, this was a little controversial among the group. Mm-hmm. Najee Marshall just turned 26 last week. So there's a little bit of gray area there. I, I don't I don't need to be a stickler on this. If you want to throw in Najee Marshall in some of your answers, that's fine by me, I guess. I guess I'll let it slide this time. I mean, his birthday was last week. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's fine. It's fine. And Brandon Ingram turned 26 in September. So I think that's a, pushing it a little bit too far. All right. It wasn't this year, so. Right, right. We got you. All right, so how are you going to do this? You want to do this with just like different moments and different things that you like with uh, some of these guys that, to kind of touch on? Yeah, I think we start out with um, people's favorite or most memorable single game performance from this season among those group of six maybe seven-ish guys, if you want to include Najee so far. I guess we could start with J.D. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to leave Najee and, and B.I. out. I'm going to leave out the AARP group, and I'm <laughs> going to stay with with the 25 and under. Uh, my favorite one, and I was going to, you know, I had two in case somebody went before me, but I think it's Jordan Hawkins at Dallas, um, November, uh, excuse me, um, January 13th, when the team was shorthanded, and there were, was no B.I., there was no Zion, there was no C.J. McCollum, uh, think there was no Trey Murphy, and the Rook came up with 34 points, made six to 12 threes, uh, five rebounds, four assists, and a couple of steals. Uh, but I really thought he showed up big in that game because, you know, the team's shorthanded, you know, the production has to come from somewhere, and he was pretty fearless. He's, he's shown himself to be a pretty fearless player anyway. Um, but that stage on the road, shorthanded, 
where you got to have it from somebody because you're not going to get it from your big guys uh, was huge to me in terms of him uh, developing, showing his confidence, and really kind of showing this team, hey, when the moment comes, it, it might not be too big for this guy. Um, he's willing to step out and produce, and, and you give him, you can run offense for him. Uh, you can run specific plays for him, let him come up, picks and shoot. Uh, he's got the quick release, but he really showed himself to be, you know, didn't have a whole lot to lose in that game anyway, because I don't think anybody thought the Pels would win that game. But man, he showed up big, and that would be my big game out of those guys, out of the young guys. I obviously agree with you and Jordan Hawkins. He's had a lot of fun games, the 31.1 at Denver um, in November. But because you took Jordan Hawkins, I'm going to go with Zion Williamson's performance uh, against Sacramento in late November because he scored 18 points in the second quarter, completely dominated. And those are the most fun performances to watch when Zion just takes over games. He's done it twice this year where he scored 18 points in a quarter. But in that game in particular, he ended up with 26 points. He was he shot 75% from the field. Like he was 12 of 16. So I think that type of Zion Williamson is just phenomenal to watch when he just dominates. So that was one of my favorite games from Z this year. Yeah, you know, to 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 what JD said, um, if you look at the standings right now. It's possible that that game that the Pelicans won where Hawkins had 34 points against Dallas could end up being a huge moment in the season. They're one game ahead of the Mavericks. Maybe at the end of the year, we look back at that. I know I'm going to mention this because Graf isn't here. Last season, we talked a lot about how uh, Laker Matt Ryan made a shot that was so pivotal in the standings. Um, maybe that'll be the same thing with that that Hawkins game and the fact that they were able to beat the Mavericks in that situation. Um, Aaron, I had I also had a Zion game, but I had a different one. Okay. Um, I had his 36 point game against Minnesota on December 11th, and the reason I picked that one was because it was the first game after the in season tournament, and it was just such a such a resounding answer to you know the criticism and in the second guessing that he got specifically, and then the team overall after the way that they played against the Lakers in Las Vegas. So um, that was another game where he just took over, and I I thought the timing of that was so perfect. Another kind of honorable mention one that I had on my list was um, Herb Jones had 22 points, was four for four on three pointers mm -hmm. in the game against Utah, where they scored 153 points and set a franchise record. And just to me, that was a symbolic night for him. Just the fact that, you know, he came into the NBA three years ago as a guy that people had a ton of questions about his shooting. And he is perfect from the three point line and four attempts and the team breaks the record for most points ever in a game. So um, that was that was one that stood out as well. But I also had Hawkins. I feel like all of us, I'm sure, had that on their on their list as as a game that's just impossible to to ignore the 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 performance that he had that game. Uh, if you wonder if a performance like that, guys, got him into the Rising Stars All Star game, you know? Yeah, I got an honorable mention for Gus um, mm -hmm. Jose Alvarado, New Year's Eve against the Lakers. Mm. Yeah, sure, he likes that one. Um, not a lot of points, but it was it was a defensive presence. And Jose comes up with a couple of steel, a couple of blocks in that game, really. <laughs> but you know the, the thing he did against Jackson Hayes on the box, I think uh, I think Gus will like that. I think we all like that because yeah. that was kind of the quintessential Jose Alvarado kind of game. I love the the picking of LeBron, right? Yeah, uh, I can't believe LeBron. I didn't have that on, yeah, on exactly. my list. No, it's really good. Again, all of those moments uh, are solid here. What about guys' favorite individual improvement this season from this group of young players? I'm going to go with her. Um, I think Herb has has improved steadily each season. So, you know, you almost don't want to 
give him credit for that. But I mean, I think he's become obviously a more effective outside shooter, a quicker jump shooter. Uh, and defensively, he's just been the same Herb Jones that we have come to know uh, throughout his NBA career. But I think what he's adding to this team offensively is something that hopefully will become even more reliable. You know, he still had a couple of dips, you know, in, in, a, in a couple of shooting slumps already this season, but, but he's so steady. He's one of those guys that, you know, when he's not on the floor and he's out of the lineup, you feel it. And so I think I, I just like the way he's played so far this season, especially the the improved outside shooting. Can I go a different direction and say the one stat that all of them have done better in? Sure. Okay, great, because that's what I'm doing. Every single one of these players has had a career high in assists this year. Oh, wow. So I think the way that they're playing together and sharing the ball – obviously is something that coach green wants them to do, but the fact that they're really trusting each other and kind of using each other to their, their skill set, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. finding each other in for their shots and, and for what does well for the team, I think has been really good overall. That ties into one of mine. I had Herb's three point percentages in terms of a specific stat that his he's improved the fact that he has been around 40% after his first two years where he was around 33, 34, that's, that's huge for him. Um, and then the, the second one was uh, Zion's passing. He's averaging a career high 4.7 assists per game. And the Pelicans are 16 and three when he has at least five assists in a game. So I thought that was an interesting barometer for how the team success has been. And also, I mean, this is, um, this is kind of obvious, but He's played in 38 games this season. He out of 48, he played 29 last year. That might be the most important. School with straight participation. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's that's the direction the NBA is going yeah. this year. So I want to stress that as much as possible. Yeah, no, that's my. Uh, that was one of the things that just stood out to me. That just getting him on the court. I mean, you see the difference it makes with the team. JD availability, especially with a player like that. I mean, that is the key. Well, they keep on talking about gravity, and when he's on the floor, you can see how he basically. They uh, sucks the defense toward him and it allows his teammates to be open. I mean, he's such a pivotal player and such a guy who galvanizes what they want to do offensively. And when you put the ball in his hands and he gets going downhill, man, especially going left because he's always going to end up going left. Right. But you can't stop him from doing what he does. And when he does that, it really affects the opposing defense because he he's one of those guys who's, you know, when Z's going downhill and he's getting to the rim, He's really tough to stop. He basically stops himself because the opposing defense can't really stop him. All right, guys, what's about uh, the most important individual improvement that needs to continue or be made for next season or the future of the team? What do you think, J.D.? Well, I, I really think this team needs to be a little bit better at at, at turnovers. Um, they, and I can't say you have to have a, a traditional point to do that, but they've got to be able to get in those moments, especially late in games, and be able to get into their offense. Uh, there's going to have to be somebody who's capable of doing that for them, whether it's Zion or B.I. or whether it's, you know, C.J. McCollum or whether it's Herb Jones. I don't care who it is, but somebody has to be able to get you into your offense because we've seen too many helter-skelter moments down the stretch where you have the the – unforced turnover or you see a, a team that's not really poised in the clutch and that's why the clutch record is what it is because mm -hmm. this team kind of loses its poise especially when teams get tougher defensively down the stretch of games so that's what I want to say I just want to see this team having learned 
from those moments because the only only way you can get better is to be in those moments. But now we need to see the success that comes from being in those moments. We need to see the graduation from a team that's unable to finish to a team that's able to finish out games clean. Yeah. I mean, I could go with consistency from a lot of people. Just we've seen huge games offensively from, from Trey Murphy, from Jordan Hawkins. They, Trey's been in kind of a, a slump here. He's been struggling. So getting back to just his usual level of production would be great. But I think Herb Jones being able to sustain and even elevate a little bit more on the offensive side is huge for this team because he is so good defensively. But when he can be an offensive threat, he's out there just by himself on an island so often. When he can knock down that three, the way that he has been over this past stretch, I think that helps the team overall mm -hmm. just in a, a huge way. I have two specific ones to me that both of these are important for the individual player's future in the league and in, in terms of his role increasing and his value to the team, but it also, you know, just the Pelicans ability to keep moving up the standings in the Western conference over the next couple of years. First is Jordan Hawkins's defense. Mm -hmm. To me, if he becomes a, a, a quality defensive player, we already seen the offensive level that he can reach as a rookie for him to be able to do some of the stuff that he's done with a pair of 30 point games against some of the best teams in the league with Denver and Dallas is super impressive. So if he can add that other side of the court, I know a lot of rookies struggle with that. It's not a surprise to see a guy kind of takes, need some time to figure things out defensively. I mean, I think that'll be huge. And the other thing is Dyson Daniels offensive aggressiveness He's shooting 28% on threes right now. Um, so that's an area that he has to keep getting better at. So for him, it's kind of the opposite end of the court where his defense is already at that level. That's way beyond what you expect from a second year guy. But now his offense has, has to kind of to um, join the party as far as if he can do that. I mean, both of those guys, if they can add the other side of the court and have that be a strength, you're talking about two two way players that are going to be extremely valuable for new Orleans going forward. You know, something that surprised me when I was looking at stats is the fact that Dyson's played in every single game this season. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the, as much as they've been changing the lineups and rotating players in and out, he's somebody that has played and had minutes in every game. So to your point, adding to the other side of the ball, I think would be extremely beneficial. They obviously see value in him on the court. Interesting. Yeah, and, I, and I cheated and I literally wrote down Dyson Daniels because he did play a nice offensive game against Houston the other night. And uh, and I went team instead of individual. So, you know, I cheated. That's all right. I, I think we can all say we're on the same page on that. Um, I, I love this because we I, I think fans all the time think about this, all those draft picks that the Pels have and things of nature. And Jim, I know it's something that you always talk about, too. So give me a prediction on what's going to happen with the Lakers pick. Pels can either take it or defer to 225 um, and, and then take it then. So do they take it this year or take it next year, J.D.? I think I would actually defer it. Um, you know, you bring, you're talking about bringing in a young player who you have to develop, you got to find the role for. And the core of this team is, is pretty solid right now, I believe. So, you know, where would that player play? How, how, what, how much usage would you get out of him? How effective would he be while you're trying to, to establish what you have with, these young core players, along with CJ McCollum and, and you know, Alan Chunas and Brandon Ingram and, and Najee Marshall, how do, how does another young piece fit in that you have to develop? Now, fortunately, Jordan Hawkins has come in and been exactly what they need. 
But even if you were to say draft a point guard, uh, a young point guard on a veteran team, how quickly do they assimilate? You know, how quickly do they gain the respect of their teammates? So, you know, I'd, I'd be more in favor of, of like punting on it and waiting a little bit and, and seeing what more you can get out of this team and how much more seasoned it can get before you add another young piece to it. I am totally on board with deferring to 2025 because of the fact that they already have an issue trying to find minutes for everybody on this mm-hmm. team. And why, I mean, EJ Liddell has a full contract with the Pelicans and he spent most of his year down in Birmingham. So you're already having an issue with some of the the talent you have here. I I looked at some of the mock drafts. It looks like the Pelicans would get that pick around 14 if it was this year. Right. And at that point, there is the Duke center, Kyle Filipowski, who is great. He is really good. He is offensively fantastic. His defense, though, isn't as good. So if we're trying to get a, a different kind of center in here, why go with somebody who's not as good on the defensive end? You know, it's interesting. One of the reasons I like doing these roundtables is because I have exact. Can I hop in for a second? Yeah, sure, I, go ahead, JD. I know how much that hurt Aaron to have to admit a player. <laughs> I know how much that wounded her. So I just wanted to throw that out there, folks. Yeah. I, That's a really unbiased opinion because it really wounded her to say that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I thought the if same thing. is having a pretty good season this year. Yeah. I thought the same thing, but I didn't want to say anything because I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but that's okay, JD. No, one of the reasons I like doing these roundtables is because I actually have the exact opposite opinion of of you guys i hope you don't hold that against me my my take was um i think it's risky that the lakers make a bunch of moves in the offseason and turn into a, you know a team that makes the playoffs or is near closer to the top of the west so my take was to you 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 take the pick this year and one of the things to keep in mind too is that it doesn't necessarily have to be used on a player it could be something that they can use as an asset in a trade so i was thinking that you you jump on the fact that if if the Lakers don't make the playoffs, it's a lottery pick. You happily say thank you, L.A. Lakers, for your lottery pick, and it would be the second time in three years yeah. that they were able to do that, which I I think is a is a huge positive. Yeah, look, I I'm, I think LeBron looked great in New York. I'm just saying, you know, anything of that nature, and just go ahead and start sure. shooting up yeah, that it's, process. It's time to rebuild yeah, Lakers. It's definitely, think it's time to do that. It'd be a great tourist attraction. All right, finally, well, the good guys. Thing is, I mean, they'll probably be back in the lottery next year because I mean, the Lakers right. win the offseason, and then they have to trade everybody, and they got to add pieces by by Thanksgiving. So we know <laughs> what their cycle is every year. So we know about this same time next year they're going to be looking to blow up the roster again. Yeah, but the Lakers got a huge win last night without a D. I know. That changed my thought process a little I'll bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't have to tell you how many times Graf kept texting me. How is this happening? And unbelievable <laughs> yeah, uh, for that aspect of it. Right, here's a tough question because it's one of the things that I think makes the West so tough here. We've got about two and a half minutes here, guys. There's so much youth and talent in and around the NBA in the West, but in this division as well. So here's the question. Which Southwest division team has the brightest future and who the Pels need to be concerned with the most, J.D.? Uh, it's still Memphis to me, even though they just traded Stephen Adams, which was a huge part of that team. But when you're talking about John Morant, a, a superstar, and, and Desmond Bain, one of the best shooters in the league, and Jaron Jackson Jr., who is – a defensive force pretty much. I think they still have a young, good core, a young, great core actually. And so you build around those guys that you already have on the roster. So I still think it's Memphis 
I still think Memphis is a really dangerous team. I know John Moran is out this season, obviously, but once he gets back on the court for next season and you have Desmond Bain already, who's gaining, you know, who's injured also, and you have Triple J, I just think that's a really great foundation of young players uh, that was a good team last year and, and got pushed out of the playoffs. Uh, but I think that's a really, really good team. And I think they've got enough seasoning to be a team that's going to be formidable for, you know, another five, six years if they can keep that core together. I think there are so many fascinating teams in this division right now because you you look at that team, but then the Rockets, they kill me every time I watch them and they're just flying around. I think they need a, another vet that's really going to help them elevate themselves because their youth is so good. They have so many talented players. And then the Spurs with Wemby, Wemby has played less games than Jordan Hawkins has this year. And Jordan Hawkins hasn't played like the entire season. So it's going to take a little while for the Spurs to develop. I think like they're a little bit further off. So I might go with the maps just because they have Luca Kyrie, they might be able to kind of take a big step forward depending on on the draft and what they're able to add. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I thought this was a good question or interesting question is because there's so many different options. I mean, yeah. like you kind of just detailed, Aaron, I mean, you go through the whole division and say, I can make a case for every single one of these other four teams for various reasons. Um, I actually agreed with JD in terms of my answer was the Grizzlies and really to try to narrow, kind of narrow it down and be concise on this part of it. Um, I, I just thought they have the best track record of the other four teams in terms of when they're healthy, when yeah. they have most of their guys available, it's a 50 win team. They were a two seed last year. I just feel like I have the most confidence in that core group of guys. Now, granted, you know, like we've seen with the Pelicans, it's a lot of sometimes it's easier said than done as far as getting the players on the court and having them be available. But um, I just feel like they're the team that I feel the most confident in going forward, which is, you know, a lot of what, what JD said. Um, they also have, are going to have a lottery pick this year. So think about that too. Mm -hmm. I mean, and again, like we talked about with what the Pelicans decision is going to be on whether to take the Lakers first round pick or defer it. Memphis might be in a position where they say we finished with the fourth worst record in the league this year, say, or fifth worst record. Mm -hmm. And we ended up, three in the lottery and now all of a sudden we don't necessarily want to need to add a, a rookie to this mix, but now we have a third pick in the draft and there's a bunch of teams that every year, every summer that are like, we, we want to rebuild and we, there might be another team in the lottery that has another lottery pick. That's like, yeah, we want to pick eighth and third. So here's the the deal that we'll do with you Memphis. So a um, bunch of reasons why I think that they're the team that the Pelicans are going to have to be the most concerned about in the future. I mean, Dallas, like you said, Aaron is another team that, but I, I just, with Kyrie, you just never know. Like yeah. from year to year, you just don't know what his situation is going to be. Well, look, I mean, it's not that I kind of live on the rumor mill and stuff, but I mean, I, most of this season I'd seen that, you know, he still would like to go to LA and play with LeBron. Obviously wherever that happens, what the mm -hmm. Lakers do is another thing, but that's to your point. You don't know what that future entails with him or where he wants to go. I think one interesting caveat with all of this, too, is when you guys were talking about the young players on the Pelicans and the next thing they need to do an improvement, I agree with you all when it comes to, like, why Memphis is so um, key because that one player, period, end of story. We saw him when he first came back this season, mm -hmm. John Moran. That can just take over a game. Right. Superstar. Right. Like, mm -hmm. when you look at all the teams in the Southwest Division, I would say that would be my – 
thing for improvement for those young players that you guys listed from the Pels? Do they need to have a go-to player? Do they need to have a player that can match the wits in a game, in a series that we've seen when Booker's dropping 50, Ja takes over? Like You saw that, right? In the last two drives of that game, he said it after the game. He talked to the coach, we got this. What do you want me to do? Who on the Pels does that, right? Because until you match that, it has to be them because you have a guy that does that, right? With Houston, young, up and coming, but who is that guy? I think their coach is trying to, you know, get them to that. But when you look around the league, I think you have to have that guy, don't you? Yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, go ahead and say it. I think that's what the Pelicans thought maybe Zion Williamson was going to be able to do. And you've seen it at times where he's taken over, but again, does he do that on a consistent basis at the end of the game? And I think this might be part of the reason why we've fallen in some of these clutch time games is who takes over, who do you turn to and say, this is, we want you just take over score. Is it Brandon Ingram? Is it Zion Williamson? Is it CJ McCollum? I don't, I don't know. And I think that they don't really know either. I think and I hope that really the way that Zion gets to that is he goes from the 88% that he mentioned recently in terms of where he is physically to right. 100%. I, sure. I think that that's one of the steps that needs to happen. I think one of the things for him, too, at the end of games that he doesn't have compared to John ja Morant, and this isn't his fault. This is just the reality of basketball. He's not going to just – the Pelicans aren't going to get a rebound or take the ball out of bounds and give it to Zion and have him – you know, that drive by everybody point. like Jaw. That's a great point. And Rebound. Luca's the same thing. So really, that part of it though is why it's important for the Pelicans to be better execution-wise in clutch time to be able to say, okay, we want to go through Zion. We know he's not going to be a guy that's going to dribble 94 feet the way that John Morant can't can. But if we execute well and we run the offense the way it's supposed to be, and most importantly of all, we don't turn the ball over, mm-hmm. we can get it to him in a position where he can be the guy at the end of games that is the player that people envisioned when he came into the NBA. So um, it's not just on him. I think it's on the the team overall, but I, I still believe that he can be, you know, he's not going to no power forward. We saw this with Anthony Davis too. No power forward is going to be able to do what John Morant or Luca does at the end of games or Kyrie, where they can just dominate the ball, um, go one-on-one and get a, a bucket. But there's other ways that you can get other guys involved that don't play the point guard position. So I'm going to throw a little wrench because when I close my eyes and I think of, you mentioned Luca and Aaron, we've seen this a lot with the Joker and mm-hmm. things of that nature. One of the things I guess that I would love to see is like, for me, Zion should be a double, double every night. Like I, I sure. rebound should be something yeah. that he can get because he's physical mm-hmm. and go get it. Maybe that aggressiveness of going, get the ball, pull it away and start a fast break. How many times do we see some of those non-traditional point guards or guys like that? Those bigs, I I can close my eyes and I can see Jokic grabbing the rebound, starting the fast break. I mean, I go 94 feet, but he'll go 60 and initiate and then get it right back and hit a three or something. We see Luca do that. Go get that. I'm thinking of Ja. I know he's a guard, but he'll go get that rebound Mm -hmm. and then start. Very good rebounder. Is that the next step that maybe we see that that aggressive nature for Z to go get that board? then start that fast break and then have that ball in his hands. I definitely think he seems more energized when he can get going on the defensive end Mm -hmm. and carry it into his offense. He, I think he himself likes the whole idea of point Zion. And if that can start when you take the ball out of the hoop, like, like, 
I, I think that'd be really fun to see and who is getting in front of him to stop that. Exactly. Well, I'm thinking, right, yeah. in close games and clutch games, and even ones that we've seen here at the arena, we've seen in L.A., we're going to see this week coming up. When the bleep hits the fan, LeBron and AD either have the ball or it feels like they're getting all of the rebounds, right? LeBron yeah. will mm-hmm. go grab that board, and he's off and going. He'll bring the ball up the court, and that's what we're saying. I, I love spreading the ball. You brought up a great point. All of these young players with their assists going up. Yeah. Fantastic. Eight minutes out, five minutes out three minutes out in a game. It's no difference than Aaron. You cover the Saints. End of the day, I need a first down. It's the fourth quarter. We need to get the first to win the game. I need to get the first to get the field goal to win it. I'm going to Alvin Kamara. I'm going to my stars. I'm going to my guys that sell jerseys. And that's how kind of I feel with this team. Who on this team, clutch moments, hand up in the air, I got it. Ball off the rim, we need that board. I'm going to go get it. And I think until that step gets taken, yeah. it's going to be a learning process. Yeah. And to Jim's point, it could be just that differential in his health, like getting all the way up to a hundred percent and his conditioning and whatever else it is. Um, And I know people are concerned about sometimes he turns the ball over when he gets inside, but I think that's because there's so many bodies down there on him. It's really hard, but if he is getting out in front of them and there's no, way he's turning the ball over he's gotten better too at handling when two or three guys are running at him which is part of what i talked about earlier in terms of his assist per game mm-hmm. career high he's getting better and better but i still he still has grounds to he has still has room to go as far as you know sometimes he does get surprised by defenders coming from different angles and that kind of thing so um that's an area that he can continue to improve i definitely think there i'm sure there's people listening to this who thought that someone could have or should have mentioned in terms of individual improvement, his rebounding overall. I think that's very fair to say that it's important for Zion to become a more consistent rebounder. Um, his offensive rebounding, his natural ability is is like world-class. So the fact that he his second jump, jump is so good that he gets right. a lot of offensive rebounds before guys on the other team even realize the ball's coming off the rim. He's already up there at the basket. But his defensive rebounding, I think, definitely is an area that he can and definitely will be. I brought it up. That's a quick way to get golf off and going in transition. And if anyone wants to know why we keep leaving JD out, we're not. He had to go for shoot arounds. We cut his mic. He said a couple of things I didn't appreciate. So he was trying to talk ish to me. So we we said it was right after you disagreed with him that we no longer heard from John DeShays or color analyst. No, he had to go to shoot around. So that way he knows what he's talking about tonight against the Spurs. Aaron, before we let you go to they do have the Spurs tonight in Wemby. I I don't know if you saw the last 10 games, double digits. He's doing pretty well. Um, He's really incredible. And and I think last week was it right before the Pels played OKC him and Chet were going back and forth. And, and you can really see what he's capable of, but also some of the things that maybe <clears throat> Jonas can take advantage of tonight. Man, that length, though, it's just... It's, it's crazy. It, it's so hard. I mean, you cannot defend that, especially when he can pop up from outside every once in a while. He's just so long. Even though he's tiny, You saw he, he can battle with people inside. It's hilarious when you see him going up against somebody like Jonas Valanciunas, and you're like, how is Jonas not able to just absolutely bulldoze him and he holds his own. It's impressive. So it's going to be a fun matchup to watch because Jonas is coming off a huge game for himself. So yeah, does that carry over? Is he able to establish himself inside, even though Wemby's going to be in there and then you have to worry about the block shots from other players. So it, 
yeah, he's a different different player to work with. Yeah, and you'd agree. It's not a disrespectful thing, but this is one of those games too. Look, you, you have to go get it now before they get better. That makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, every win right now, I'm watching league pass every night. I'm like, okay, this was a good night for us overall because yeah. this team won, this team lost, whatever, whatever. Like, that's where we're at. We are trying to get out of the playing games and you need a little bit of help and you get better take care of yours. It's crazy, guys. It's what, 35 games, 36 games that you have left the Pell? 34. 34 now? Yeah, 34. But yeah. it feels, Aaron, doesn't it feel like there's a, like there's only a week or two because of that, because the of this game? so freaking yeah. good. If you we lost three East, games, you went from five to seven. In the top yeah. six, like no questions asked. But that is the issue we're dealing with right now in the West. Is that a good thing in terms that maybe it'll, it'll make it feel like a playoff field? Doesn't it? And, and I, I get in these clutch moments. And the only reason I say this because by the time the playoffs come, you've you've been having to play these games where you need wins. Like you can't take a night off. No, I mean I guess it's going to help you develop and get better, be ready for the level of competition when you get to the playoffs, and maybe it's going to make that final game against whoever that Eastern opponent is easier. But I don't think it's fun right now. No, I don't think it's fun. <laughs> I was gonna get there. I was gonna say the same thing. Like uh, your theory is yeah. great and everything yeah. else, but uh, I'd rather spend the first week of April, you know, kind of making plans for okay, they're gonna play in the playoffs, and we know it's gonna start here instead of last year where it went down to the very end. Let let's let's avoid that. Let's not have it be the drama and the nervous and the an an anxiousness that. I mean, Graf has enough things to worry about right Honestly. now. Do we, do we really don't need to I mean, we're just trying to well. keep his head from exploding. Like, and it, I mean, we're getting close night in and night out. I did mention he was real happy the Lakers won last night, right? <laughs> at Boston? Yes, you did. Without AD? <laughs> yeah, that um, didn't help us. No, not at all. Uh, quickly, we got about 30, 60 seconds here. 12 games in the month of February. I wanted at least 500. We, they went 8-7 and seven in the month of January. 12 games in the month of February. Win-loss record you think they need. Uh, my math isn't the best, but I think we need to win 75% of those games. Eight and four. Yeah. I'm going to say eight and four because, um, just based on the schedule, yeah. they have four games against teams with winning records in February out of yeah. 12. So let's, let's go eight and four. I think you need to go for like January 500 ish. We'll get you. You had to survive it mm -hmm. from here on out. You have to go your seven and three and 10 games. Yeah. I, you cannot do a, Below 510 game stretch. Right. All agree? Yeah, definitely. For sure. Aaron Summers, give her a follow over on X. Aaron E. Summers. She's the Saints and Pelicans team reporter, of course, on game day. She is part of the broadcast as she is the silent reporter. Thank you for your time. Yeah, definitely. This is fun. Yep, for sure. Our thanks to Aaron Summers and John DeShazer there. It's also Friday, which means what, Jim Eichenhofer? Here's the problem, Gus. What? We already talked about what my trending number is going to be. That's okay. Um, my trending number is 10 out of 15, actually. I can kind of reset this a little bit. Mm -hmm. 10 out of 15, which is in January, the Pelicans played 10 teams with winning records, five teams with losing records, toughest schedule in the league um, opponents-wise. In February, that number is basically four teams with winning records, seven teams with losing records, and then there's one team, which is the Lakers, that is exactly 500. I wasn't sure where to put them in the bucket four, seven and one four, seven and one. That's the, uh, that's the trending number for February in the schedule. And as you can see, it's the flip of what they had in January. Wow. Um, they've played, I'm sure this is no surprise to anybody that's followed the Pelicans this season. It does seem like they, other than maybe the, you know, they had one stretch in, um, the beginning part of January or no December, middle part of December where they played 
Washington, Charlotte, San Antonio. It feels like besides that, it's like when is the stretch of the schedule where they're going to play teams that aren't as good? And it does feel like that's coming up now where they're playing a, a lot more of a collection of teams that are under 500. So that's something that we're going to monitor. And as I've said a million times, just because you're playing against a team that doesn't have a good record, i.e. San Antonio tonight is a perfect example, doesn't mean that you're going to just walk on the court and win. So they're going to have to be as professional as they can be, the Pelicans, and, and try to take care of business in a lot of these games. And um, it doesn't mean anything that on paper, you know, okay, we're playing against a bunch of teams that are not good. You still have to win the games, and I think that's going to be the thing that we uh, we watch. But I am slightly cautiously optimistic based on the fact that even not just in February but in March and beyond, too, they finally are playing a lot more teams against the East, and it's mm-hmm. not Boston and Milwaukee the way that they just had. It's more of the teams. You know, Aaron mentioned this, too, that once you get beyond the top six or seven of the East, there's a huge drop-off. And the Pelicans have a bunch of games against those teams, um, really more so in March. So we'll see how they do against that kind of competition. Give Jim a follow over on X. Jim underscore Eichenhofer. As always, appreciate the time. And my training number is one or two. How many pizzas would you like tonight when you come hang out at the radio studio? Uh, let's go with two. You know, at two pizzas. When, when, wow. Earlier okay. in the show, when uh-huh. you said Jim wanted to have some more fun, yeah. I thought you were going to say, and therefore he's coming to the studio. But you said, you know, he, we're having a radio roundtable. But well, this is a this is an exciting day for me. Exciting day. Radio roundtable, and I'm making my season debut for road games in the radio studio. So, Gus, I am all in. Yes. I've got my Pelicans radio sweatshirt on. Mm-hmm. I am I am fired up. This is a big, what a way to start February. It's always nice. Always nice to have more company than just me and the conductor, Chris Moran. Not that it's a bad thing. It's just, <laughs> a, you know, so yeah, no. it's a little lonely. Somewhere. Yeah, well, hopefully I can provide a little little jolt of energy, you know, kind of like Najee and Jose coming off the bench for you and Chris. I just want to win. How about that? It'd be fantastic. Yeah, that'd be good, too. Sounds good. All right, thank you, as always, for tuning us in. We'll see you again on Monday, hopefully after another couple of wins. We'll see you then on the New Orleans Pelicans podcast. Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Pelicans podcast. Join us three times per week on Pelicans.com, the Pelicans mobile app, the iHeartRadio app, or where you get your podcast. And be sure to give Jim and Gus a follow on X at Jim underscore Eichenhofer and GCAT underscore 17. We'll see you next time right here on the New Orleans Pelicans podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.